stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I am your host, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Vincent Argrave. Tonight, we are going to finish evaluating the second round through the seventh round of the NFL draft. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. We had a lot of uh, interesting movements. We have a lot of players to talk about tonight. Uh, Players' values going up, players' values going down. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting show tonight, Vincent. Oh, absolutely. I'm having that, you know, the after effects. It's just, it's like... It's like love, man. You wait for it, you wait for it, you climax, and then I'm ready to go to sleep until the season starts again. I get another shot at drafting. So I'm 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 done. I'm rested, and now I am freaking counting down the days. And all that we have to worry about is the pandemic pushing back the season. But at least we have names and places, and a few more moves probably going to happen with some trades. So I enjoyed every minute of it. I watched a ton of it, and uh, there's a lot to talk about: some good and some bad and some ugly. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting uh, when we talk about some of these teams and some of these names. I mean, let's go ahead and get right to it. We'll start at Arizona. Um, they added Josh Jones off the tackle out of Houston. Uh, he was a first-round talent and uh, fell down to round three. Uh, gives another uh, big, big-body big lineman for Kyler Murray and uh, Kenyon Drake and those, uh, those right receivers. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, they – don't have much room for skill players. You know, uh, Kyler was pushing for Lamb, but one of those teams that did not have a weakness on the offense from quarterback, um, running back, wide receiver. So uh, adding the offensive line would be really important for Kyler, hopefully for Drake, more time to get to the receivers. And there was no prolific type of tight end anyways. So defense and no line. So, I, you know, I think they did a very good draft. I'm a big Isaiah Simmons guy that we uh, might have mentioned the other night, but we're staying mostly with offense. So, I think adding an offensive tackle, uh, you know, as early as they could in the third round, I, I hopefully it opens up more for the skill players. Uh, yeah, go, just going off of what you said, Isaiah Simmons is a beast. And I, I'm, I really like what Arizona is doing over there. Uh, I think they could have a shot at maybe a, a wild card spot uh, this season. So we'll see what happens. Um, moving on to the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta didn't well, really address huh? Before you before you jump on Arizona, jump off of Arizona, they did pick off uh, Eno Benjamin, seventh round, Arizona State guy. Not that I think he's going to be a game changer this year because I think Edmonds is very good. So there's going to be a battle for that backup spot. But, you know, maybe some deep dynasty because there were a lot of guys high on Benjamin's upside. I don't know if it's going to do have value this year, but if Drake gets banged up or if he beats out Edmonds or if Edmonds gets banged up, which both of them are known to get a little nicked, um, he could flash. So just, uh, you know, keep in mind deeper dynasty drafts, you know, a four round one, I don't think he's going to get touched, but just to make sure that we do hit on it. And our LSU shout out, Rashard Lawrence went to Arizona as well. So <laughs> that's okay. We're, we're here for all, all types of dynasties, all types of leagues. So that's okay. No big deal. Moving on to the Atlanta Falcons. They did not really address uh, the offensive side of the ball in the draft, but I do want to address one small thing. And that's, they did not address running back. 
which leads me to believe they are comfortable with handing Todd Gurley a, a big load. And uh, to me, he's moving up in the, in the, on, in the rankings. I don't think Brian Hill and Edo Smith are really sufficient enough to uh, impact Todd Gurley's play. I think Atlanta plans on to give him the ball and give him a ball a lot. I could see him in top 12 running back as a PPR. Yeah, they addressed what they needed to address, which was the defense and their punter. So there's that. But I agree with you. I think Gurley's stock obviously is up. Um, I think it's, you know, his, his body caps his ceiling, not the skill set, not the offense. I did see where Arizona could put in a lineup, and I did not see what the exact personnel was, but all 11 guys could all be first-rounders. So this might be the first day in, his, uh, in modern history where any team, or maybe in all history, that any team can put all first-rounders out there on offense. So they should be stupid good if they can stay healthy. That's pretty incredible to hear. I, I did not hear about that, but man, that's that, that would be wow if Arizona was be able to do something like that. Just right, well, know, yeah, last year I knew the offensive line was like one guy away, and he they were going to be very close. And I think they addressed that. And depending on how, because I think Hayden Hurst must have been a first round pick. And then depending on you know obviously with Gurley and I think it's whoever that number maybe that either the fullback or the H back or whatever that number three wide receiver is, they're going to be able to go you know, the number one team all across the board. So should be, uh, should be good. So we'll see. Well, it'll be interesting. See, I, I don't, I don't have any, any doubt that they'll, they'll score plenty of points. It's their defense and usually the problem over there in Atlanta. So um, looking ahead over at Baltimore who did make some moves in the draft and, you know, we could start right off the bat and that's a uh, JK Dobbins draft in the second round from Ohio state. Uh, to me, you know, J.K. Dobbins has got high-end speed. He's got some great talent out of the backfield. He really can catch the ball. He's a burner and can really break one to the house. Now, what does this do to the Baltimore running back core? You have Mark Ingram already back there. You have Gus Edwards. You also have Justice Hill. To me, this signals more of Justice Hill moving down the charts rather than someone like uh, Gus Edwards or Mark Ingram. Gus Edwards is pretty young. I think Mark Ingram's got maybe another year or two left in him, a really good, solid production. And I think Dobbins would take over in that point, and maybe Gus Edwards probably supersede him. But I see this as a, a, a negative move for Justice Hill, and J.K. Dobbins immediately becomes uh, an RB2-3 um, at in Baltimore. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's – I agree that it's a pushback for Hill and Edwards. I don't think that they are rosterable. They're definitely not redraftable. Um, Dobbins will be the heir apparent to Ingram. Uh, I think Ingram has fuel in the tank. He obviously has a connection with Lamar Jackson, but they ran the ball more than any other team in the NFL. So there are going to be, there is going to be opportunities there. Even if Ingram gets the majority this year, which I do think there will be a clear majority with Ingram, but, you know, as we said on our rookie show, I thought Dobbins was the most complete back. And I think this is a perfect scheme landing spot. Um, I did read somewhere or heard somewhere that I think it might have been listening to one of the CBS podcasts where Dobbins ran, had the highest percentage of plays ran with RPOs, which is almost all the Baltimore offense is. I think, you know, his plays. Uh, his rushing plays in at Ohio State, like some 50% or 60% of his carries came off of RPOs. So he's very familiar with that fluidity of not knowing if he's going to get the ball or not or being able to identify on the read pretty quick and hopefully seeing the same thing as Lamar Jackson will end up seeing. So the upside is phenomenal 
um, in a dynasty standpoint, redraft. Uh, I think that there is limited upside, but if you say that it's going to be an Ingram Kamara situation, and I just said they ran the ball more than anybody else. Now, a lot of those, some of a large chunk of that is Lamar Jackson, but you know, they want to keep Jackson upright, give another option where he doesn't have to have it. And I, they're going to be able to pound a lot of people. And then later in the draft, they went on to add uh, Devin Duvernay and James Prochet. You know, they waited late. Duvernay is another big body. Um, if Miles uh, Miles Boykin can't produce, I think those two guys could have a opportunity. Uh, Prochet is supposed to be the new Willie Sneed. So not a whole lot of passing attempts coming out of Mar- Lamar Jackson. Baltimore says they want to throw more. They are giving him weapons. And, I, you know, Hollywood and Boykin can take a step up. Duvernay is a big body, so that's going to help with uh, some inconsistency of accuracy and another safety valve type person. You know, Lamar Jackson loves his tight end, so give him a big receiver out there. So really good football moves. I don't know if in either – I wouldn't expect either of them to be uh, valuable in redraft because there's just not enough volume there. Dobbins obviously being different. Yeah, I definitely think J.K. Dobbins will have some – a redraft uh, ranking where he's taken in a redraft league. But as for Dunbury and Prochet, those are probably guys who are waiver wire guys. Um, you know, Dunbury had some really great numbers coming out of Texas. He had some, you know, top speed as a slot receiver. Prochet himself, you know, I think you, that was a great uh, comparison to Willie Snead because he's got good hands and he's got he's a great route runner, but he just doesn't have that high-end speed. And I think you're right. They're, they're not going to have any type of uh, redraft value at this point, but uh, maybe someone you can pick up off the waiver wire in dynasty. I don't think they're going to, they're going to be draftable either, but JK Dobbins to me will be probably the third or fourth uh, pick in a rookie draft setting for dynasty. Um, other than that, Dunbury and Prochet, like I said, probably more free agents. Right. And your LSU update, Patrick, Patrick McQueen taking it to 128 to the Baltimore Ravens. All right. Very, very good. That should be interesting. Uh, moving on to Buffalo, where Buffalo decided to take Zach Moss running back out of Utah. To me, this is more of a – I don't think they can rely on Devin Singletary to be a three-down workhorse. So I think you bring in Moss, who's you know had a great seasons over in Utah. He comes out, comes over to Buffalo, and now you've got kind of a two-headed monster over there to go along with Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley. You know that offense to me is getting a little salty. Uh, between Zach Moss and Singletary, you've got some youth and you've got some really great talent and, and running backs. Uh, I, I could see you know this offense taking the next step, and I think Moss and Singletary really could head that on with Moss kind of being a one-two punch of Devlin Singletary. Right. I do think Singletary is going to be the clear one in that punch, but I did when we started, I started re-ranking today. I sat down and did almost all of them. And what took the hit for me with when I listened to other people and read some things and kind of, you know, what Buffalo was saying, how they wanted to use it, trying to figure out, is he going to be Gore? Who's going to be Gore? You know, all those carriers are gone too. So there's a lot available. But the one consistent theme that everybody kind of thinks that I kind of feed into, because I'm, I don't take it as a hit against Singletary in the sense that very few coaches believe in that workhorse. Uh, somebody reshared, you know, some random guy on Twitter reshared the, you know, the workhorse caliber running back. These are the guys that are left, and there's like eight of them or something, maybe ten. And you know, Singletary wasn't that last year. I don't think that you know they're in a philosophy to do that. I think there's a lot of mouths to feed, and the real vulture in Buffalo is Josh Allen. So 
he's you know he he's as likely to scramble or punch it in at the goal line as anybody. So a lot of people are saying that Singletary's value took a hit. I'm like, well, shit. Gore and Allen were all the goal lines last year. So if Moss comes in and just takes the goal line, but Devin's getting the you know the in between plays, he can he has the speed to take it to the house. He's was the, he looked like the most explosive player on Buffalo's team last year. Now you had Diggs in there, so now you have a lot. And John Brown got banged up, but now you have a lot of weapons. I agree with you as far as the offense being salty. I think Singletary is still going to be the one. I did lower him down a little bit. Moss will have some redraft value in the sense that he may have some tough touchdown upside, but more than likely he's going to be the Singletary handcuff because there is not really anybody else to threaten any carries there. But Moss doesn't have the high-end speed. Um, He's a very uh, vicious runner downhill, and that leads to injuries as well. So he does have a history of injury. He doesn't have that speed. So I do think his upside is capped if he did get the role. Some of these other guys, like if Ingram goes down, Dobbins is a top 10 back in the sky's the limit type of situation. If, you know, Singletary goes down, Moss is going to move up, but almost just above where we probably have Singletary because Josh Allen and how they want to do things and what Moss I think can fully carry. So it, it was an interesting pick. I think it was a value pick because I think Moss was falling down that board in the third round and, Buffalo seemed like they did a pretty good job of taking value between Zach Moss and then, you know, Jake Fromm just fell into a lap at the five and they finally stopped him from, you know, stopped him from falling. Yeah. Um, Jake Fromm to me can be a sufficient backup to Josh Allen, someone who's always going to be safe with the football. I'm not going to turn the ball over, but, you know, looking at Devin Singletary and, and Zach Moss, you know, I did kind of move Devin Singletary down. I had him around 13. I think I moved him down to about 18 or 19. And I know that was probably even a little ambitious at that, but I do believe in Devlin Singletary's talent. And I do agree with what you said about Zach Moss. He'd probably be more of a, a touchdown threat than anything Devin Singletary because Devin Singletary will probably be your guy between the twenties. So right. uh, I definitely could see uh, them both having, you know, a good decent season, you know, with Devin Singletary leading that one, two punch. What did you say you dropped Singletary to? About 18, I think 19. That's with the rookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have him right at 19. Again, great radio. We agree. So <laughs> great radio. Well, <laughs> uh, something we really don't have to worry about here is uh, Green. Is that's Carolina? They uh, had a basically an all defensive draft. I did think they needed to address the offensive line a little bit, and I did think they would address running back to at least have someone to spell McCaffrey a little bit. But it sounds like it's full steam ahead. Yeah, they seem they just went. Uh, they specifically got their guys, and I do think you know we're not going to dive the defensive players, but their first three defensive picks were freaking salty. So oh, yeah, they they were they, they they had a vision, and like we said right before we started, I think that it speaks more to they know what they have. They obviously have faith in Teddy. They have faith in the receivers that they have. Why wouldn't they have faith in McCaffrey and Thomas? So I think. Uh, they're they're obviously running with what they got. I don't expect there to be some big trade, some significant free agent acquisition that's going to change the world by any stretch. So uh, here we go. So this is what Carolina's rocking. Not a whole lot of questions going in, other than who's going to you know drop the deep ball. Is it going to be Samuel or Robbie? Yeah, it's, it's it'll be interesting. Uh, that that's an offense that I'm really looking forward to seeing a training camp get going. I'm really curious to see what that offense looks like. So, second uh, worst draft, by the way, in the in the freaking weekend coming up, second worst. Oh, uh, would that be the Chicago Bears? Who, oh, 
off landed Cole commit in the second round, which to me was really their only relative offensive pick. Um, I don't think commit has any really redraft value. I mean, he's a big tight end out of Notre Dame, uh, can run very good routes, you know, can really hover in those zones to get, get those, get open passes, you know, thrown to him. Um, he can make a couple of people miss and go for the football, but I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to offer immediate uh, redraft value in fantasy leagues. I think he's more of a, a dynasty type of product at this point. Um, maybe someone you could probably get in third round, give or take. But even even still, I'm not sure I'm someone who wants to invest in the Chicago Bears at this point. Um, you're not sure if Nick Foles is there um, for the next couple of years. He could be gone when Matt Nagy probably gets fired at the end of the season. I'm just not sure I, this is an offense I'd really want to invest in long term at this point. No, not at all. Komet was the only way Komet was going to have value because I, I think, you know, when we did, we didn't really dive into our tight. We didn't, I don't know if we talked about the tight ends at all, but Komet to me was the most pro ready, but also some limited upside because he was just, I, I think he is what he's going to be. And obviously he's going to improve and grow and understand more, but he needed to go somewhere so he can make an impact. And I'm pretty sure when they cut Trey Burton, they went from 10 tight ends to nine and Nagy wanted like an even double digit number. So they needed to draft the tight end. So they get back to fucking 10 in their tight end room. Cause God forbid they don't have enough for Nick Foles to throw down to. So it's just, it, it, it was bad. There was only one team that I thought did substantially worse than them. And they actually drafted better players, but you know, they didn't have, it, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what they were doing. I don't know how that is a need. I don't know how that makes, them better with what else they could have done to improve their situation. So it's a, he's going to have dynasty upside if you can roster him, but I don't see how you can play him. Cause I'm with you. I don't want this year could get really ugly because I think that defense is still going to be good enough to keep them in games, which is going to limit the flexibility and creativity of the offense. You know, Nagy, I'm sure is still going to run 15 trick plays in a row, but I don't think that it's going to lead to a whole lot of comebacks, if you will, unless Foles and Trubisky just start throwing pick sixes left and right. Yeah, I think kind of Chicago is going to be in a similar boat as they were in last year. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, moving on to a little bit more exciting team, uh, that's the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, they get uh, Joe Burrow round one, draft T. Higgins round two, uh, put some offensive line pieces in front of Burrow. You pair up Higgins now with A.J. Green, Auden Tate, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and, man, that's a, that's a pretty salty offense in my opinion. To me, you know, Burrow probably has some redraft value. Uh, I've got him somewhere in the 15 to 20 range as my quarterback. Um, I think in a dynasty value, he's probably uh, right now the first quarterback off the board for a dynasty rookie draft. And then T. Higgins – who, to me, I think he's drafted more to replace A.J. Green rather than to play alongside A.J. Green. Because Higgins is a pretty big, big cat. You know, he's 6'4", coming out of Clemson, uh, can go up and get football. He's not going to be, you know, a speed demon. He's not going to go outrun somebody, but he can go across the middle. He can, you know, make some nice hooks. He certainly can go and get up and get the football. And I think he's more there to replace A.J. Green. Um, Higgins is probably someone you can probably grab – um, in a dynasty rookie draft, probably somewhere around two. Um, with a redraft, 
I'm not sure how much value Higgins is going to present within a redraft league. He might be someone like a deep, deep sleeper and one of the last round picks, or otherwise you're going to pick him up on the free agency wire. But this offense in general looks pretty good on paper. I can't, I'm really excited to see maybe in a, a year or two when Burroughs got his you know feet really dug in the Cincinnati offense with some of these young pieces around him. This could be a really good offense that we're talking about in a couple of years. Well, well, AJ Green wants that extension. I think his health this year and participation is going to speak to how they're going to handle it, but it does allow them now to move on from him either after this year, because regardless, he's not going to be there for the majority of Joe Burrow's career. Hopefully, you know, hopefully Joe Burrow has a much more uh, lengthy career. He's successful, which means, you know, the three years where AJ Green's out of the league, it's not going to matter anymore. You know, I think Boyd and Tate are good foundations and come to find out after the national championship, when Burrow was training in the off season, Higgins was training with him, and that's who he was throwing to when they were both preparing for the combine, which Joe didn't participate in, but when they were preparing for the combine and just off-season workouts and working out in their free time, they actually paired up together, and Cincinnati was aware of that relationship that Higgins and Burrow had and the connection that they apparently had shown on the field, and they wanted to give their franchise quarterback a connection for the long run. You know, So I think that shockingly forward-thinking – by Cincinnati, both in replacing A.J. Green, but also giving Burrow that connection to build that rapport and to hopefully have something very promising for the future for both of their you know careers. And then, you, like you said, and don't forget you have John Ross there as well. So a lot of options for Burrow. I don't think Higgins has any redraft value right now, um, regardless of the name, because Tate and Boyd were very good. And not because Higgins maybe – if Higgins gets to their level, I think all three of them took a step back. And I don't think A.J. Green's going to be on the field if he's not getting featured like A.J. Green. So I think it's going to be difficult to maybe identify that number two receiver in Cincinnati right now. Yeah, for, I agree. For fantasy agree. perspective. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you just said there, um, especially about the three receivers, because if Higgins does get up to that Auden Tate, uh, Tyler Boyd level, I mean, it does bring them a step back just because you're feeding three mouths instead of one or two. So I, I definitely agree with that. Now, if um, AJ Green with, is not on the field, we have to readdress, we talk, re -talk, re readdress this topic. So if AJ Green does not show up, that could be – a game changer. And then you're going to see after the first few weeks, it could be Boyd or Higgins is the, the number one or if Higgins moves up to the two. Now you have some serious value, but it, it really all pivots on if AJ Green is traded or on the field. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, looking ahead to Cleveland Browns. I, I just almost hate to say it that I really liked what Cleveland did in the draft and I just hate to say it more that I really liked what Stefanski has done in the offseason, um, you know, adding some pieces to the offensive line. Uh, they get Jedrick Willis in the first round. Uh, then they start addressing some deep defensive pieces, and then they add Donovan Peoples-Jones late. Um, they also got another tight end. I mean, so they've added some pieces here, and uh, dare I say it, Cleveland might have a pretty good offense next year. Um, I'm hesitant to say it because I've invested in Cleveland before and they burnt me time and time again. And 
I guess I'm just to the point with Cleveland where I almost have to see it to believe it. But I do think someone like Nick Chubb is uh, it's a, a lock for a thousand yards and probably thirty to forty catches. I think he's he's prime for a good season with what Cincinnati has done on the offensive line, and then they've got the skill receivers out there. I mean, they've just got a lot of talent and a lot of mouths to feed. Right. You said offensive line, so it made me think about it. Let's not forget with Cincinnati, their number one overall pick last year, or their first round pick last year, yeah. the offensive lineman did play it down because he got hurt in the preseason. So they really get two number one picks coming back. So, but now jumping over to the Browns, yeah, they made a lot of really good football moves. They killed any sort of value of Donovan Peoples Jones because OBJ and Jarvis are already going to be starved for opportunities in this offense that Stefanski's probably going to run. They'll probably put up some numbers. They're the only ones that are going to be draftable. I agree with everything you said about uh, the moves that they made, except for the fact they paid Hooper $1,000 million. <laughs> so they're up to the billion range on Hooper, I think. I, I, I disagree with that. But, you know, Harrison Bryant was interesting in the sense that you know Stefanski's going to run a two-tight end set all the time and as often as possible. So Bryant's going to have, you know, again, some tight end value for dynasty purposes because it seems like Njoku is no, you know, not long for this world because they obviously hate him for some reason. But maybe just the fancy needs more tight ends because they're going to have a lot more on the field. So down the road, both of them could be okay. But, um, yeah, for the draft purposes, all they did was solidify, I think, where we had everybody ranked. I don't think that we expected there to be a receiver that would move the chains or move the rankings as far as who they would take in. We obviously didn't think they were going to go for a running back. The tight end doesn't affect anything with Hooper. So from skill position set, all it does is, you know, puts a better foundation on where they're ranked. You know, I think if things can move up or down, they, they can move up based off of who's above them. I don't really see anybody skyrocketing past them though. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. Looking over to the Dallas Cowboys, and you know, I really had some interesting hopes for where C. Lamb felt. Who realized that C. B. Lamb was going to fall to the Dallas Cowboys, and so now Dallas adds C. D. Lamb to an already high-powered offense with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, throwing Ezekiel Elliott along with Dak Prescott and Blake Jarwin. Um, this offense won't have a problem uh, scoring points. The the biggest issue here to me uh, for redraft purpose, purposes is I don't think CeeDee Lamb, he, while he'll be drafted because he is a name, I don't think he's going to be someone you're going to be able to count on week in and week out. He's probably more likely to give you wide receiver three slash four numbers than maybe potentially wide receiver two numbers. Uh, he'll probably be rosterable, but I don't think he's going to be someone you count on just because there's so many other miles to feed there in Dallas. And Zeke demands, you know, 300 touches a season at minimum uh, on when he's on the field. So that's, a, you know, that's a lot of carries. Uh, it's a lot of passes with, you know, Cooper and Gallup. And you even throw in Jarwin on top of that. CeeDee Lamb has, he has great dynasty, uh, uh, ranking here, you know, he's definitely someone who's probably going to go in the top, you know, seven or eight. Um, but as far as a redraft, I'm, I'm thinking in between probably nine and uh, round 12. Right. There's a whole lot of things. One, I failed on my only job that I have on this podcast that I self assigned, but Grant Delpit and uh, Phillips both went LSU to NFLSU up to the north, <laughs> our, our northern <laughs> campus now is 
rocking the purple and gold hard up in Cleveland. So forgot about that. Second, Jerry Jones with the biggest flex play of the whole fucking draft because he drafts the – he's like, you know what, I could draft the football a safe pick, but I'm on a $250 million fucking yacht. I want C.D. Lamb. I don't care what everybody <laughs> else wants. So Jerry Jones with the flex, his woman, because it's not – I don't know if it's his wife or his maid or whom that was, his vice president, but he wouldn't even hold the phone to speak to the guys. She dialed, she held it up to his face, and he talked. And he's like, CD, I'm on a $250 fucking million yacht. Come play with the Cowboys. So – Biggest flex play of the weekend, other than your boy in uh, the desert just sitting, you know, sitting all douchey in his fucking beautiful house. But as far as spent Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, Kingsbury's all fucking sprawled out like a fucking CoverGirl commercial or something. Um, huh. But as far as the Cowboys go, yeah, I was shocked to hear that last year Randall Cobb, where my stats go, Randall Cobb actually had. 55 receptions for 828 yards and three touchdowns last year and a few rushing rushing attempts. So, you know, can CeeDee Lamb easily on those amount of targets get 1,006 touchdowns? I think without a doubt. I think it uh, significantly hurts Gallup's redraft value. Like, I know you're a Gallup guy. I don't see how Gallup's not going to come down a little bit. And and I think that Amari Cooper – drops only because I think my own internal fears of the ghost games, you know, the ghost of Amari Cooper games where he doesn't show up are more likely to happen now. So not that CD Lamb's going to demand the ball, but I think that it, it's going to be easier to go away from Amari. I think they have a, an amazing trio of receivers and going back to our last podcast, I think Amari Cooper's only guaranteed 20 of his hundred million dollars this year. So if he does not perform and he goes ghost Amari, then they have options for the next few years to be able to move him when that money gets to be too much. Or say this year when they franchise Dak and they have to pay Dak next year, shit, we need an extra $80 million for Dak. What are we going to do? We got you CeeDee Lamb. Goodbye, Amari Cooper. So Jerry might be playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, which is not his strong suit. So um, great draft by Jerry. Um, I thought, you know, everything else that they touched on, they needed the cornerbacks. They passed on a lot of guys in the first round. That's where everybody thought they were going to go, or they thought that maybe he would go with, um, um, oh shoot, from LSU, the D end, um, Chase on. So, you know, he passed on Caleb on. He went with CD because CD was in his lap. So I, I thought Jerry took what came to him and, you know, made a trade with the Eagles for the first time in 10 years, I think to get an offensive lineman to replace uh, Frederick, so their center. So why the Eagles traded Jerry to help him replace one of his best players is beyond me, and I'm sure Philly is ripping ass this morning and yesterday all about it. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the Cowboys from a fantasy perspective. I hope they suck. Their players aren't going to suck. But I, you know, anti-Cowboy all the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. I think that I'm I'm definitely all in on some of Dallas's players. They're going to have a high powered offense, so it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, this next team, though, is really uh, really putting a lot of pieces, young pieces, around uh, quarterback Drew Locke, and that's the Denver Broncos. You know, they're sitting there at 15, and you know they were talking about trading up to go get Jerry Judy. And, 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 you know, remarkably, uh, they sit tight 
And here comes Jerry Duty tumbling down the uh, draft boards all the way down to 15. And I'm sure John Elway put that card in quicker than uh, he ever, he's ever put in a draft pick because Jerry Judy is the pick. Then in, in the second round, they, they get another receiver in KJ Hamler. Uh, then they go and add one of the best winners in the draft of national championship LSU Tigers, Lloyd Cushenberry. Then they add Albert O out of Missouri, the tight end, who's 6'6", 258, and ran a 4'47 at the combine. I mean, you look at the pieces around with this offense. You know, they address the need on the offensive line, getting Cushenberry, who can start day one. Then you add pieces like Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler in the slot, you know, to go alongside Cortland Sutton. And then, you know, you've got Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. And then you have Drew Locke at quarterback. Uh, this this is a, a team that, to me, it may not happen this year, but maybe in year two or year three, this is going to be one of the more high-powered offenses in, in the NFL. And this is going to be a team that I really want a part of from a dynasty's perspective, especially with Jerry Judy and maybe even KJ Hamler in the second, uh, in the mid to set, late second uh, round, because I think Judy is the best receiver in the draft. I think he's going to be a wide receiver, high end wide receiver two, low end wide receiver one in the future and moving forward. Uh, I like KJ Hamler. I think he's got a lot of speed, but to me, he had some inconsistencies at Penn State. I'm not sure how that pick will work out for Denver, but I like the other pieces that Denver's got around here. I'm buying Drew Locke. I'm buying Jerry Judy, and I'm definitely buying Corlin Sutton along along with Noah Fan. Yeah, I'm I'm praying for Drew Locke, P.S. Fuck James, and I think it's a great matchup with Judy and Sutton opposite each other. Sutton was a very good receiver, but Judy is a much better prospect. So while Sutton will be probably the one this year. That could and probably will change within a year. So Judy's definitely a great buy. Um, you know, it's tough for rookie receivers to make an immediate impact sometimes, but I think he will have that opportunity if luck is – I mean, if uh, Locke is capable of doing it. Um, Hamler is going to fit in great right there in the slot. And your boy Big O was the tight end at Missouri with Locke. So they have this freaking great relationship and rapport already so he is behind Fant right now, but going forward, he is going to have tremendous opportunity. So ton of dynasty value will be great. And I think immediate would be the only one I could get will feel comfortable going redraft would maybe be Judy. Yeah, I, I think you're right about the Judy. I think KJ Hamler has more dynasty um, uh, appeal, but I do think Drew Locke could have some – uh, redraft appeal, you know, maybe not not someone who you're going to draft in you know in between top twelve rounds, but someone who could be like a last one of your last picks, uh, just to kind of stash away on the bench in hopes that he catches fire because he's certainly got the talent and offense he, around him. It'll be interesting after to looking see. at our rankings and listening to a few things that we said and re-listening and re-looking at numbers, seeing how he finished the year, I he flew up my rankings. Now I didn't have him high at all, but. He, right now he's sitting at 20 in mine. So I, uh, I moved him up significantly, and we're going to see some of these other guys in front of him. Uh, I'm going to see how the offseason goes. Some of this is name power, but I realistically now you, – you, we said it before, how deep quarterback is to where you can find a starter. But I definitely think that you exactly throw a dart at the end of the draft with Locke and 
if he catches fire, you ride him the whole way. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely think that's something that can happen. Uh, moving on to the Detroit Lions, uh, the big news here with Detroit is they add DeAndre Swift from Georgia uh, to go along with Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough in that Detroit offense. Uh, you know, they've got some some great receivers. They've got TJ Hawkinson at tight end. Now you add DeAndre Swift, who to me is a three-down back, and I think it kind of spells more for Carrion's value kind of going down and DeAndre Swift kind of coming in. And to me, there'll be a one-two punch at first, but I think DeAndre Swift at some point will, will eventually take over as the main back in that, in that one-two punch. Yeah, if he can stay healthy, you know, I definitely – think that there is much more upside with him than carry on at this point. Uh, carry on is going to get touches only because I think Patricia has learned from trying to make carry on last year, a feature back because he was gifted enough to do that at the time, but his body gave out on him, whether it's right or wrong. And I think that he's going back to the Patriot way. And I think it's going to be a committee and I think it's probably going to be frustrating um, I, I'm all about him in some later redraft. I don't see him flying up. You know, you got to look at all these teams like a one-two punch. Like, yeah, I don't have it ranked this way, but I can very easily see a world where Dobbins is scoring safer week in and week out fantasy points because of the volume and the offensive style. Because, again, I'm big on Matthew Stafford. Hopefully, Swift benefits off of that in those catches because I don't think Carrion's getting those. So, it's going to be really interesting to see he has some of the best upside because other than carry on, you know, Scarborough's not the answer. You know, he, they got a lot of bodies behind him, but he is definitely the most dynamic, but let's not forget how high the lions were and everybody in the industry was on carry on. So they have stuff. In- I was, I was just about to bring that up. It was not so long ago where carry on Johnson was a second right. round. Pick. So it's, reality check is hit in and a lot of these teams have been some of them have paired up and they've knocked down that starter carry on values crushed you know it's going to be similar to how we talk about probably uh, marlon mack obviously is going to be a good comparison coming up in a few teams but it's uh it's going to be interesting there's going to be redraft value there's huge dynasty value obviously and you know the only other skill player of note is which i don't even know if it's notable but they added uh quintess cephas who is probably going to step into that number three role and um, be able to get a few touches. But I think that, you know, Amendola is going to hold him off just long enough and to not have any value, but could have some, it could, will probably have some dynasty appeal, but you're also looking like who's going to be there after Stafford with him. And that's, you know, that's obviously wide open at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Amendola was only right. a concussion. And, they, away, and so. they did not address quarterback, <laughs> unlike your next team. Yeah, the next team, uh, Green Bay did you address get ready quarterback. For the you got a bad did. team. Adam said it. They're a terrible team. He's watched them play last year. Best, worst, best team he's ever seen. So they got to address their needs. Yeah, they definitely went out and addressed their needs. They addressed quarterback, uh, Jordan Love out of Utah State, and, man, to me, you just kind of throw a wrench in this whole thing. And then, you know, the next round they go and draft A.J. Dillon, uh, running back out of Boston College, who I thought would have been 
Uh, he's kind of one of my dark horse running backs because this is a big boy. He is, you know, 6'1", like 247, big physical back. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Leonard Fournette in a way. And, you know, now you put him in this backfield with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. And to me, this kind of brings Aaron Jones value down a little bit. I mean, this is, you know, LaFleur bringing in another running back to have three running backs to really just – screw and fuck the Aaron Jones owners even more because we all know Aaron Jones has plenty of talent, but it's because the inconsistencies with the floor giving the football to Jamal Williams that really kind of draws Jones value down. And now you've got AJ Dillon on top of that. Uh, I mean, they didn't address receiver in the draft, you know, so you got Devin Funches, uh, Martez Valdez, Scantling, uh, to go along with Devonte Adams. Uh, and you got St. Quintus Brown, it's just not a, an offense that I really want to invest in much from a fantasy perspective. There's so many, so many just messed up things about this. I mean, Devontae Adams was hurt. So who are the best two players, offense, defense, doesn't matter, best two players on the Packers, and the most important is Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. So what do we, repo- what do we address? The quarterback and the running back. Absolutely makes zero sense. But, look, we said it. I said it a few podcasts ago. Uh idiot boy up there what's his name LaFleur yeah he used LaFleur. to own a dodgeball you know Jim for first 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 sakes okay he owned you know average Joes and then he did this so it doesn't make any sense that he's a head football coach when he's obviously only knows dodgeball but AJ Dillon you know he said it they need three running backs in this league like he philosophically believes you need three running backs and it's atrocious it's it costs you points. Like I understand the point of actually having three running backs and four and five on your roster, but when one of them is a playmaker that can score at any moment, and you're giving carries to another guy. Not that I don't like AJ Dillon, but Aaron Jones is a better talent, unless you're just getting rid of Jamal Williams. But the problem is, is they don't trust Aaron Jones really in the third down work. The only time Aaron Jones sees spikes in points with the floor is when Devonte Adams got hurt or Jamal Williams got hurt because then the reception would go up with Adams or the third down work with Jones. I mean, with uh, Williams, but AJ Dillon's not a third down back. He's not a great pass protector. You know, Jamal Williams was the one they trusted in those situations. That's why he still had a role on the team. So if you bring a guy in the camp pass block and Aaron Jones wasn't doing as good as Jamal Williams before, you think they want to have Aaron Rodgers hit? Like it's just, it didn't make any sense, and there, wh- where was it in? Oh man, I wish I could find the tweet. There's a list of the people that have thrown the most touchdowns to first round picks, and uh, I'm just gonna wing it. But it's like Drew Brees with like 65, Peyton with like 200, Brady with 70, Roethlisberger with 50. Throwing to other first round to first round skill players, Aaron Rodgers has thrown the ball to a touchdown to one first round pick ever one time fucking mercedes lewis the only time he's ever thrown a touchdown to a first round pick he has never ever been given fucking skill players it is atrocious it is a waste of generational talent and the hot thing i saw that today which makes me sad as a drew lock dynasty owner is that you know denver's gearing up to make the peyton manning push because aaron's about to start asking for a trade and they loaded up on offense this year because they're going to make the push to trade away the fucking future for another Super Bowl. And they're going to go try to get Rodgers. So that's that's Vegas' odds on Rodgers' next team already. 
That's interesting to know. Now I have a question for you. Is Matt LaFleur Patches O'Hulian? No, he's, he's formerly known as David LaFleur, the owner of Average Joe's. And he's actually probably his brother who couldn't play on the dodgeball team because Steve the Pirate took his spot. So he's an idiot, and I hate him, and he kills fantasy and just wants to run the ball with five guys. So what they need to do – I also saw this, so I stole this tweet from somebody as well. They need to put Jordan Love in, and they need to just run the wishbone with Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Just, just fucking do it. <laughs> just, just go fucking old school – and run the wishbone and put your best players on the field. It just all happened to be in, and let, let Rogers play the other wide receiver because that's at this point, this is what you got. So, but for any sort of analysis, Jordan Love has zero fucking redraft value and his dynasty value is lessened unless you think they're going to move on from Aaron Rodgers because like you could sit on him for three years, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the guy. And this whole comparison, well, they did it 15 years ago and you know, the whole, ESPN did the the whole uh, write up article about or the uh, commercial that oh this is just like how they did Aaron Rodgers blah blah Aaron Rodgers was a top five pick that completely plummeted down the draft board to twenty four and Green Bay was worried about uh, Brett Favre retiring the next year because it was always like he was always talking about it so they had to immediately address the future and Aaron Rodgers got to sit but. To go up and get somebody is just it, – it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, Jordan Love wasn't falling. Jordan Love was just there. So were everybody else, everybody but 25 other people who were just picked. Like, it just – it was very weird. And then to double down on the A.J. Dillon pick, it's just I, – I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I, 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 can't, I can't understand it from a football – or if, and it, I can't understand it from a football standpoint, and unfortunately, it hurt fantasy as well. Yeah, if you can dodge a wrench, you can uh-huh. dodge a ball. So, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, going over to the Houston Texans, who uh, didn't really do a whole lot uh, in the draft. Uh, they spent a couple of mid-round picks on the O line, but it seems like they're pretty content with what they got on offense. Oh yeah, I mean they're loaded. Do you see? Uh, do you see Bill O'Brien's fucking blow up? Oh, yes, I did. Lions fucked him because they were too busy doing, you know, lying things. So LaFleur's, I mean, LaFleur. Um, oh, no, the other fat bastard. Patricia is just, you know, he's probably like halfway through a sandwich and couldn't press the fucking enter button fast enough to like accept a trade. <laughs> so Bill O'Brien's pissed, kicking his kids and stuff. But yeah, obviously they're loaded. They, you know, bring in Randall Cobb. They bring in, you know, the rest of their high high, very contract-heavy skill players. I'll say that. They, they owe their skill players a lot of money. So in that regard, they're fucking loaded. Let's go. Yeah, they got to use them. So uh, this next team here, though, made some real interesting picks, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, you know, they take uh, Michael Pittman in the second round, uh, receiver out of USC, 6'4", 223, who had a, just an outstanding senior, senior season and had even a better senior bowl. And then they come in behind that and take Jonathan Taylor running back out of Wisconsin. Um, some really regarded Jonathan Taylor as the number one rookie running back coming into the draft this season. Um, he goes to a team that really struggles to run the football with Marlon Mack. And to me, Marlon Mack's value is basically 
gone because I would say he is the RB2 now in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor being the RB1. And then you have, like I said, Michael Pittman um, to go alongside, you know, an aging, often injured T.Y. Hilton. Um, You've got, you know, Zach Pascal there. You've got um, Jack Doyle there. You've also got, you know, Paris Campbell there who really didn't take a whole many steps uh, last season. I'm not sure he's going to take many steps this season, but with regards to like a dynasty ranking, I would have Michael Pittman probably as a top five or six receiver right now. Jonathan Taylor would obviously have to be a, probably a top three running back, if not top two, um, because I have Claude edwards Eler number one. And Marlon Max values is going down. Um, the other person I didn't discuss uh, was Jacob Beeson out of Washington, you know, 6'6", huge, you know, had plenty of skills at the quarterback position, but was very inconsistent. Uh, you know, often, you know, didn't show up to football games as far as, you know, just, you know, coming on the field and, and playing just because he was just so, so bad. But now he comes, you know, into the NFL and gets to learn behind a veteran like Phillip Rivers. Maybe he's somebody who could have some deep dynasty potential. I, I don't think any of these three guys could have landed, well, almost could have landed in a better spot. Now, Jonathan Taylor could have gone to a better spot, like if he would have gone to Kansas City or gone to Tampa where he would be the guy right now. But, with uh, brittle Marlon Mack back there in a carousel of freaking nobodies. You know, this is a great spot. Max on a contract year, he's done in Indianapolis unless he's just going to be a backup guy for freaking change. So I think that – I think carry-on is going to get a lot more run than Mack will, both with a leash and with carries. So I think that uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to have the opportunity, you know – Last year, Miles Sanders waited till the back end of the year till he re- and injuries helped, obviously, which in this case is not going to take long for carry on and Mac to get hurt either. So, but I think that there's a situation where he may he's going to pay dividends much earlier than some of these other rookies that are coming behind veteran guys. Um, there's just a ton of upside. Michael Pittman fits the role for them perfectly. You know, big body receiver, uh, completely different skill set than T.Y. Hilton, so he can immediately be a number two but also see more targets. You know, if Rivers isn't going to chuck it, you know, one concern we had for T.Y. was the ability of Will, uh, Rivers to want to go deep all the time. And that offense wanting to always take those risks. Pittman's a big body guy, NFL ready. So I think that there's a perfect landing spot for him. And Eason, honestly, where, you know, his, some of his flaws are his limits of mobility, his accuracy, and, you know, What's he ready to play right now? He's a guy that could have come in if he had to start, could easily get run out the league in a hurry. But being able to sit behind Rivers at least this year and then the coaching staff get to work with him and identify if he has, if he is the future, really, he couldn't ask for a better spot. You know, I think he's in a much better spot than Jalen Hurts and at Philadelphia and at then from in Buffalo. You know, Eason's going to – all three were drafted to be backups and unfortunately may end up being career backups. Maybe not – Wentz gets banged up a lot more than the other guys do. But Eason's in a possibility to where he can start next year or – because this year I do think they're in a win-now mode. I don't think he's going to beat out Rivers because he is a project. But they're going to know what they have. And you know, he, he flew up my dynasty rankings in a hurry. So Pittman, I agree with your ranking. Taylor, I think I have fourth on my redraft, but I would not disagree with anybody if they want him second in 
dynasty at all. Yeah, and you're right. Jacob Eason probably landed uh, the best location out of all the mid to late round running backs because he is going to have an opportunity here in a couple years because uh, Rivers only signed a one-year contract with Indianapolis. So he, he's going to get a chance to really prove himself by you know, getting a chance to sit behind Phillip Rivers and learn. So hopefully he can use this time wisely and really hone in on his skills because he certainly has a lot of potential to be a very you know good high end quarterback in this league, just the real question is, can he really you know get down to focus and really uh, develop his skills? So we'll see what happens with that. Um, looking over to the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, they didn't do a whole lot to address their offense. Um, they did select Lavisca Chenault, uh, wide receiver out of Colorado. Um, Chenault was one of our receivers who were kind of towards the end of the top 10 in our rookie rankings pre-draft. And now he goes over to uh, the Jacksonville with uh, DJ Shark, Keelan Cole, and D.D. Westbrook, along with uh, the stash, Gunner, uh, Gardner Minshew, uh, to go along with a pretty you know, good running back, Leonard Fournette. And now you've got another receiver to go along with Shark. Um, I'm not really sure how much I believe in the stash as far as and from an NFL standpoint, but – to me, from a fantasy perspective, this has a chance to be, uh, especially the receivers like Chenault and Shark and maybe even Didi, they have a chance to really you know, put some points on the board because I see this team playing from behind a lot, and I see a lot of garbage time production. Yeah, the defense team. is not going to be good um, immediately with everything that they've lost and still trying to move. But I think that Chenault, actually has probably a much higher redraft ranking than a lot of the guys that we've talked about and are going to talk about because of where he landed. Cause I'm not, a, I'm off the DD wagon. Conley's a guy. Uh, Chenault will be in line to be the number two guy. And I don't, we'll find out what Gardner is capable of, but they didn't address quarterback either. Now that could change, you know, uh, Jay Gruden's there now. Obviously, has ties with Andy Dalton. That's his, you know, that's his boy. So, could the Red Rifle? Could they do a, you know, late round pick next year and trade to get Andy to come in and be the backup? And you know, if Minshew Mania doesn't continue, replace him, possibly. But by not addressing it at all until taking another wild card with Jake Lutton out of the middle of nowhere's, then he has full run of this, and they obviously have some faith in it. So, it's uh. It's going to be interesting. So I do think there is going to be some redraft ranking. And it's almost he's one of the few guys that his redraft ranking and his future, like his dynasty ranking, are hand in hand. Because there is limited upside this year. And probably the overall, there is still limited upside based off of, is Minshew going to be good enough? Nobody expects him to be great. Nobody thinks Chanel's going to be great. So if everything goes great this year, he's going to be okay. And if everything goes okay going forward, he's still just going to be okay. So... It's, but it's somebody that you can roster. I think that he could be a wide receiver three on a fantasy team. Uh, there is going to be, there is an opportunity there for be a lot of volume. Like I said, there's a lot of garbage, a lot of passes get thrown in garbage time, and DJ Chark can't catch them all. I don't believe in the other guys. I think they're going to check down the Fournette a whole lot, but you know, Chenault's going to fill that role, and he is a phenomenal athlete. When all things are aside, and he's healthy. You know, uh, I saw, I read somewhere on Fantasy Pros, they compared him more to a, like a Quirrell Patterson. So 
some of a limited route tree, but a guy that can ball when he has it in his hands. So if they can get it to his hands and he can evolve as a receiver a little bit, there's, you know, sky's the limit for opportunity. But I don't think the offense is going to be slinging touchdowns all over the place. So that upside is limited. But, the you know, PPR volume and some yardage could be there. You know, I, I agree with everything you said. You made a lot of good points when it came to Chenault and that offense with the garbage time production. And he does, you know, have a lot of athleticism. And one of his problems at Colorado was staying healthy. Um, if he can stay on the field, he will have the opportunity because you're right. There's going to be a lot of, lot of garbage time uh, to be had in Jacksonville. So um, the last team we're going to move to wait, tonight wait. is the Can- update. Caleb on chase on at the 20th overall pick Jacksonville Jaguars. Now Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, that's okay. Because the next guy we're going to talk about is another LSU product. Uh, getting drafted in the first round by the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's Clyde edwards Elair. <clears throat> and if you've turned on a fantasy radio or a fantasy podcast in the past 48 hours, you've heard a lot of talk about Clyde edwards Elair and how, in my opinion, he's just going to move into that number one running back role because you don't draft a running back in the first round not to put him in – as a RB as your RB one and Damian Williams is someone who's often inconsistent. Uh, Darwin Thompson's value immediately goes down. Uh, you know, you have Daryl Williams and Spencer Ware there who are just kind of pieces, but really to me, Edwards Elair, when you look at it from a redraft standpoint, I think come draft day in August, Clyde Edwards Elair in a PPR league is going to be someone who's probably hovering around that mid to late second round pick. And then looking at a dynasty right now, as far as a super flex rookie draft, uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair is probably two or three best available, depending on how you rank Tua and Joe Burrow. But in a one quarterback dynasty, Clyde Edwards-Elair to me is the number one pick. Um, I know some other people would disagree that a lot of people would go Jonathan Taylor or maybe even Jerry Judy, but I just think the fit and the scheme with Claude Edwards, Elair did great at LSU, really translate well with Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid offense. I kind of think, you know, more recently, someone that people are familiar with, kind of like LaShawn McCoy was in Philadelphia under Andy Reid. Um, going back a little further, Brian Westbrook was someone who kind of really reminds you of Clyde Edwards Elair because he's small and built like a damn tank. And he really fits this offense well. And I think he's going to be someone who pays dividends. I completely agree. He's the highest rookie running back on redraft. He's my highest rated for dynasty. He was handpicked by the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. They had the video, you know, Andy interviewing him, him telling him that Patrick wanted him. The GM talking to him, saying, no, Patrick wanted you because GM calls Patrick on draft day, says, hey, look, we're going to take a running back. If we, Or, excuse me, if we take a running back, who do you want? He's like, I want Clyde. And it's like, what better situation? And then the GM watches film on him before Andy Reid does, and he's like, hey, look, look at this guy. I think he's pretty good. I think he's uh, kind of similar to what you know Brian Restbrook was. And Andy Reid watched the film, called him back, and said, no, he's better than Brian Westbrook was. I mean, there's – like, that's not smoke when you take him at the 132, you know? And you're a team with no offensive limitations other than you don't have the guy at running back. 
in the rest of the draft, they went all defense because that's what they need because they resign everybody else on offense. You have speed all over the place, and you put a guy in that fits that role, and what defense is going to freaking key on him when you have Mahomes, Tyreek, Kelsey, you got Hardman flying up one sideline, and the Lizard King doing whatever Lizard Kings do up the middle of the field. I mean, and then you got a Robinson, whichever one's left, running around fast as hell as well. I mean, there is so much talent that he is going to get nothing to ever stop him in the box. It's going to be wide open. There's going to be screen plays. There's going to be passes. He can block. He can be on the field for every play. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if both Williams get cut and it's him and Darwin Thompson and, like, Spencer Ware to save money. Because I think I saw where they could do Damian – they can cut Damian Williams and save millions. So, if Daryl's healthy, I think Damian's off the team. And you have three LSU running backs on the roster. But it's just – it's a perfect fit. I, 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 you could not have hoped for anything better for him for a landing spot. Now, anybody could have gone there and been great. But the skill set that he has, the only other thing that could have been close would have been Tampa. But from a dynasty standpoint, he gets to play with Mahomes his whole career. He could get, you know, Somebody could go play with Brady for two or three years, maybe, in Tampa. And then who knows what that offense – it goes back to Bruce Arians' offense. So it's a phenomenal landing spot. Um, I wish I had a piece of it in a dynasty. I won't redraft. I'm going to try not to get caught up in the hype and the overpay because that I, I do think that there's a lot of talent above him, and especially – if Damian Williams is on the team, I think Clyde gets to go. But I think, you know, they do trust Damian. Damian should have been the Super Bowl MVP um, for what he did. But does it matter from a business standpoint? If Damian gets cut, uh, there's I, – I don't know. I'm going to have to talk myself down from moving him up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting, man. There's definitely a hashtag no doubt about it. And then the other one would be NFLSU because that's what LSU does is put players in the NFL. Clyde Edwards-Elair is certainly a product of that. Um, But, guys, we are going to stop here. We're going to pick it back up on Thursday night with the Los Angeles Chargers and then Justin Herbert and going through the rest of the teams ending with Washington. Um, Other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, analyzing uh, some of the top half of the teams with the draft. Um, look forward to hearing y'all, uh, hearing y'all's opinions and thoughts. Other than that, by the way, you guys have a good night. The Las Vegas Raiders. Adam hates the Raiders. You heard it here. Remember, knowledge is power. <laughs>